and welcome to the fifth and final performers podcast for 2015 at the Brian Fringe. We have a very word-driven show today, a very word-driven show, uh, which is great for me because I like words. I don't stop talking. Uh, we have um, Franco Milazzo, who is the... Did I pronounce that correctly? Franco? <laughs> Milazzo. Milazzo, Milazzo. It, it was, okay. It was close, you know. Uh, yeah, at least it wasn't the Welsh one that I had last week that I really had no idea how to pronounce. Uh, we have uh, John Seagrave, uh, who's doing some poetry. Hey, uh, hello. Uh, we have <laughs> Ant McEwen, um, if and when he comes halfway through, which I'm hoping he does. Um, he said he would. And uh, we've got Peter Antonio, who also is a, is a mentalist magician, who also isn't here yet. Well, I'm hoping, you know, maybe through telepathy, he'll be here any, <laughs> any second. And uh, finally, we have, we have a very, very quiet act. Uh, we have a loud poets. Um, and loud poets are going to start, off, start us off by doing some loud poetry, I'm assuming. Yeah, sure, let's do that then. Hi, my name's Miko and I'm a loud poet. You see, I'm not often lost for words. I read them every day to help me feel driven. I listen to them every chance that I'm given and heck, I hope one day to write and perform them for a living. So I'm thinking, Maybe I could be forgiven for not being willing to give in to this chilling and deeply unfulfilling, drilling sensation of being tongue-tied. But let me tell you about the girl who curled my tongue. She sells seashells down by the seashore, yes. She sells seashells down by the seashore, yes. She sells seashells down by the seashore and I buy one for her every single day because I just don't know what else to say when I approach her. So now my room is full of these little jewels of the beach and I'm going to teach them to say the harder things, the smarter things, the cut right through to the harder things that I can't quite bring myself to do in front of you or else I could train them to sing in perfect harmony to the melodies of songs that I no longer grasp such as supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to show the psychosis my words are atrocious and I know this look what I don't know it's why I can't just fucking speak to her it's not like I'm weak or meek or can't open my beak it's that this feeling is unique to me and I'm meant to be the cheeky chappy that's always happy but this girl had me tongue tied and I'm <laughs> I'm not often lost for my words I read them every day to help me feel driven and listen every chance that I'm given and I write and perform them for a living. So I'm thinking maybe I could be forgiven for not being willing to give in to this chilling and deeply unfulfilling, drilling sensation of being tongue-tied. But let me tell you again about the girl who curled my tongue. You see, when she's not selling seashells down by the seashore, she's working in the shoeshine shop. Where she sits and shines and shines and sits and sits and shines and shines and sits And she had the most incredible pair of lips And hey, you can call me old fashioned But I would rather get introduced before I reproduce And I want to know more about you I want you to know more about me Can I ask you a question? Is it just seashells or do you know everything about the sea? Has anyone ever shown you how you can cram a clean clam into a clean clam can? Or told you how many friendly anemones actually have enemy anemones? Yes, many friendly anemones are many enemy enemies. And although I might look like it, I'm not the pheasant plucker. I'm just the pheasant plucker's son. I said I'm only plucking pheasants till the pheasant plucker comes. I want to lie down with you under the stars of that piece of grass by the side of the road while we exchange the important questions like how much wood 
Could a woodchuck actually chuck? If a woodchuck could really chuck wood, and how much love could this love have if this love could have love? And how many bears could Bear Grylls grill? If Bear Grylls could grill bears, I want to lie down with you under the stars of that piece of grass by the side of the road while we listen to the traffic roaring past us one by one. There goes a red lorry. And a yellow lorry, a red lorry, a yellow lorry, red lorry, yellow lorry, red lorry, yellow lorry. Look, I'm sorry. My worst lorries come in the way I want them to buy. I'm not often lost for them, you see. I. I read them every day, tell me for driven and listen every chance I'm given and write and perform them for a living. So I'm thinking maybe I could be forgiven for not being willing to give into this chilling and deeply fulfilling, drilling sensation of being tongue tied. Or maybe I could just shut up for a second and let you talk for a while. From Loud Poets, that was, uh, well, you weren't tongue-tied. Yeah. <laughs> you really, really weren't tongue-tied. Um, I mean, that's a very different style of poetry, isn't it? It's not your usual... Um, yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I often go on and on about how I, I think poetry is similar to music and that there's different genres, you know? And when you say poetry, people think of, of one thing. And people say they don't like poetry, but... No one says they don't like music or they don't like movies because that would be preposterous. You might not like action movies, but you still like movies. And, uh, and yeah, I guess that's, that's just sort of one style of, of spoken word, but there's, there's so much out there. I think if, I'm, I'm also a, a poet as well, and I've found that people who hate poetry quite like my poems. Yeah. And, so that, and it causes a huge problem because if people hate poetry, they won't come and see my show because it's poetry. Mm. And then when I do it at poetry crowds, they're like, but that's not poetry, are yeah. you? <laughs> Is that everyone hates you? I mean, do you, do you, have you found that it's been difficult to break through that or not? Uh, hugely. I mean, I think especially for our sort of group, I mean, we, our whole thing is trying to do poetry for people who don't like poetry. We try to make it more accessible and, um, and try and sort of break the Which stereotypes. It's a terrible marketing idea. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just yeah. It, and, and, and like you say, that does, you, you do that in front of some poetry crowds, uh, Kev here and, uh, and, and Doug do a, a poem called Big Love. And, uh, and someone, when they saw it at the Fringe last year, went, that's not a poem. And we're like, well, who are you? To, who are you to decide yeah. that? Like the, we do it in a poetry show, I guess. Uh, we'd call it uh, poetry. But, you know, it's the same way people would say heavy metal's not music. It's not real music, is it? <laughs> Where's the composing? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's all different styles. And it can be very difficult. But as you'll know yourself from doing that kind of poetry, people might not necessarily want to get in, but as soon as they do and they see it, then they'll be, you know, they'll be so enthusiastic about it. They'll be like, that was the best thing ever. And they'll tell their friends and they'll, you know, they'll get them in. And when you do a run like, uh, you know, like we're doing and Johnny's doing and yourself or have done before, you know, the numbers tend to build because at first trying to sell people a poetry show, they'll look at you like you're just handing them a dead rat or something. <laughs> Come on, it's really delicious if you'll only but try. But it's the, the handy thing about it as well is that the poetry's kind of, it's, it's easy to show instantly. So one of the things we found, especially down here in Brighton, is, is that if we go up to people and kind of go, we could explain the show to you, we could try and convince you to like poetry, or we could just give you a poem. <laughs> and if you like it, then you know what it's about and you come to the show. And that's been working really well because people are like, oh yeah, cool, and you can do that wherever. It's, well, I like that. I'm going to seal that promotional tool. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> <laughs> 
The favourite bit about that tactic is seeing the uh, mild panic in their eyes and they go, oh, he's serious. He's going he's gonna to poem at me. I'm just <laughs> sitting in the park. I mean, it's... it's um, because I know it's something that, as well, in terms of getting the right topics as well, you know, the, do you find that you have to pick things that people find accessible? Um, I, I don't think that, that we really focus on that. Um, it's just that's what we do when we're doing the show. So, uh, similar to if you're a musician, you're going to have a, a variety of songs. I, I, I've got, I, I'd like to think I've got a relatively wide range of uh, poems, but, for example, starting the show tonight, you said do something high energy, so I, I did that. That might not necessarily be what I would have chosen if you, know, if you wanted something different. Um, so I think you tend to write what you want to write. Just sometimes it's not the right thing to do for a certain show. I write a lot of very personal stuff that isn't very entertaining, so I don't perform it all the time, but I still write it because it's important to me, you know? Um, and what's the, what's the scene like in Edinburgh when it's not the Fringe? There's quite an active scene in Edinburgh, actually. I mean, it, it's meant to be the world city of literature, and it kind of lives up to that with, with um, live literature things. So there's a really big, growing spoken word scene, especially in kind of the younger generations and the student population, and that's kind of spilled over to Glasgow as well. So now we're getting the sort of central belt madness, where every night of the week there are people travelling back and forth on trains and doing weird, loud poetry, which is, which is lovely. Um, and there's also the more kind of traditional forms of oral poetry going on, and we're starting to have more and more crossover and more crossover with music and other art forms, so we're, we're building it. Um, and it's Especially in Glasgow, there's a really nice uh, crossover with the sort of hip-hop and rap scene mm -hmm. through in Glasgow, which is, is awesome. It's creating some really interesting, fresh stuff. So. It's, it's really fortunate for us. I mean, I think we've come in at just the, the right time. The end was seen as... I mean, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to gig uh, quite, quite a lot around the UK, and I think outside of London, Edinburgh's definitely the, the strongest scene that I've come across, and that there's, uh, there's a lot of incredible people all over the country, um, but in Edinburgh, there's so many people at that top level, and so many just below it as well, you know, the people, the up-and-comers that are just about ready to, to become headliners and, you know, uh, get booked for, for all these uh, bigger nights. Why, you know, why do you think that is? I think there's a, there's a really heavy focus. Um, myself and Agnes, um, before and during doing Loud Poets, we've also been involved in a night called Soapbox, um, which is a student-based open mic night. And we, and we work really hard on doing workshops and things like that and trying to encourage some of the younger poets to get involved and to help them hone their craft kind of thing. Uh, and a bit I, of it goes to as well what you were saying about that idea of, of what you're writing about and people more are writing I know I certainly write as a, as a way to present sort of an entertaining thing to perform like a, a lot of writing can sort of seem very self-indulgent whereas more and more it's being put on to to entertain as a performance piece like our show is very much um, it, it's similar to a piece of theatre you know there's a structure to the show there's there's moments of, of sort of like up and down that, that work for certain reasons we present it in a very specific kind of way which is different from how maybe poetry has been presented and um, in a more sort of recital this is my personal stuff we kind of concentrate on more what works for a, an audience and what they're going to enjoy and using then poems as the way to to format that well, i know one of, one of the best gigs i ever went to was uh in edinburgh and it was Scroobius pip and yeah Sachs, and it was Shortly, <laughs> that was a long, was, weird love for Scribius, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it, was, it was it was it was just after um, the EDL 
had used one of his tracks yes, yes. in in their um, uh, past political we broadcast, and it's the the stake acclaim, stake yes, acclaim one, claim, and yeah. he was. Region. Yeah, it was. It was, and, and I've never. It was just this feeling of you could just tell this. You could feel it in yourself. This kind of bubbling tension just yeah. coming up as the music was blaring out, and he was doing this. It's a great tune. Yeah, it's. Um, if you haven't heard it, I do recommend checking out Stake Claim. It's very good. But not the EDL version, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the irony is the EDL version, it, it's not an EDL version. It, it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. It's the same song, yeah. Go through um, his YouTube, not theirs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, but once it's out in public, is that it? I mean, ca- can you do anything? It's, it's a really interesting question, actually. And he's, I mean, he's a great ambassador for spoken word just because he's managed to do that. Uh, people like himself and George the Poet, Kate Tempest, these people that have had great success with music as well. Um, but aren't ashamed to call themselves poets and, and spoken word artists uh, is a really great thing. But the problem that you get with that fame is this idea of your your material being out there, and you know, and it, how much of it is it, poetry. Similar to comedy, I guess, that in its roots is very amateurish. So when you get to this level of professionalism, it's very difficult to then suddenly turn on this idea of oh, contracts and ownership and copyright and all these things. Um, but it's so important to to nail that stuff down and uh, Pip wasn't remotely quiet about his rage when uh, <laughs> an EDL took a song. But, 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 but is it though? I mean, does it, does it really matter? I mean, I mean what, what I'd be inclined to do is just charge, ED, you know, charge the EDL, I don't know. But then I think, you have, I think you have um, an ownership over your words and how they're then presented and what for. Like, mm. you know, it, it's, it's fine to, to allow your, your words, or especially, you know, Pip, it's, it's music and a lot of times, it's fine to use that for other purposes and let other people use it if it, if it fits. But not when it's something that you're fundamentally opposed to and, and isn't really what the song is about. It's not the message. Like, I think, yeah, you can't, you can't just let anyone use your stuff. It's, it's the same. It, you have to have some ownership. Over yeah, I think, I think I'd, I'd enjoy people using my work most of the time. But if... Yeah. I mean, we've got the SDL in Scotland as well. Same kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's like four of them. Yeah. <laughs> but they're really like... But there's, yeah, you, you always run into those... Like, if, if someone wanted to use my stuff, I'd be cool with that. If someone that um, didn't go to school because they were too busy shaving their head and hating people, then I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable, especially if it's used to propagate hate and stuff like that. I think that was the main thing with that particular example. Um, I know other people that have, you know, that their work has been sampled or anything else like that, and it can be, it can be a wonderful tribute. But uh, Much of the time, spoken word is a really political thing as well, um, mm. and differently from some forms of music, it has a very explicit and intended political message, and when that's kind of co-opted and used for something else, I think people feel like their work is stolen rather than used. Yeah. I think this whole idea of, of, of ownership is, is fascinating, you know, when we're kind of, we're owning things less. You know, yeah. Especially with spoken word, yeah. because I mean, like, uh, some of us have sort of pamphlets and, and stuff like that, we're working on a book just now, but like, at this point, I don't have anything written down. I don't have any pamphlets, I don't, I don't have anything like that, so like, all my, all my sort of poetry exists as I speak it, and so it's, it's, it would be very odd to then see it sort of used for something else because it is very much mine. It's, it's as much about, sort of unlike written poetry, it's as much about the delivery and the, the sort of attitude to it and the, the, what I'm trying to, emotional response I'm trying to gauge and stuff as much as it is the actual words. And that's when sort of ownership becomes important because my, my words don't sound the same 
read by someone else, that's not the point of them. And there, there is, a, there is a, an amount of pride there. So you work really hard on your on your stuff, right? And um, say, for example, Scribius Pip came to see a, a loud poet show, and then he really liked one of my poems, and then took one of those lines and put it in one of his songs, and then you know got millions. Oh, I'd of love views to see on... Pip do tongue tie. <laughs> <laughs> and so millions of views on YouTube or whatever. Then, uh, then that's not mine anymore. That's it. I. I used to do stand up, and a, and a London comedian who shall remain nameless. Name him. <laughs> name him. It was a she actually. <laughs> name her. Name her. <laughs> she uh, she did a show with me, and it was at the Glasgow stand, and I, and I was only just starting out, and I she came up to me afterwards and went, oh, I love that joke. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. You know, she was much more established than me. And about six months later, um, she did, I think it was The World Stands Up on Paramount. It was one of those shows that was on at like one in the morning. And she used that joke. So that's not mine anymore because she's done that on TV and I've not. So if I do that joke, that's now, that, that's now me stealing from her. Do you know what I mean? Unless you do a joke about the fact that she's stole the joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could do that. I think Stuart Lee's got a wonderful bit about Joe Pasquale stealing one of Michael Redman's jokes, uh, which is incredible. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it can be very hurtful, and I think it's poetry even more so. Because that was a joke. But if someone took uh, some, I've got a poem called Happy, which is about depression, and, uh, and someone came up to me and said, I like a particular line, and in the back of my head I was, I was going, you better not steal it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes very personal. And it, I've, I've not come across a lot of that as spoken word, to be honest, but it is. But it's because it comes from lived experience as well. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels like someone's stealing part of your life or your memories and the way you process them and going, oh, I'm going to use this now. Which is, yeah, it is, it is a form of stealing. I think it's happening um, very rarely, but there are cases where that happens in spoken word communities, but especially with things that are written down. Yeah, it is written. hard to copy work that has never been printed. I, I actually, I saw, um, uh, oh, you know what? It was a terrible gig, I'm gonna name it. Um, I, saw, um, <laughs> I saw John Cooper Clark, oh. and he did, initiated two poems, and the rest of it, was jokes that he stole from other people, <gasps> including... Openly? Did he say, like, hero uh, uh, jokes and no, stuff? No, no. Right. <laughs> where, where it was really silly, though, he might not have... I don't even... Uh, he might not have been aware that he was stealing them. Um, <laughs> there was... One of the jokes that he used, one joke of the fringe the year before. Oh, oh. oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not smart, either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't even a good joke. It was, the, um, you know, why a, why a hedgehog so greedy they're always stealing the hedge, you know, it's kind of... There is a, there's, yeah. a, there's a thin line, though. We were discussing it the other day, actually, in terms of jokes, because we were talking about one-liners and how easy it must be to steal a one-liner, because mm -hmm. the, the sort of concept of it is that it's supposed to be an easily thought-of thing. Yeah. And, like, you, you do find in poetry... I know I, I've done it where like someone will say a line and you know they've heard your poem and it's it's maybe not exactly the same but it's close <laughs> yeah. and you kind of go to them how did you come up with uh, that little nugget of gold there is that yours entirely and they're like oh sorry because it's it's filtered in and you're not necessarily overtly going oh that's ideal I'll, I'll take a note and write that and, and, and also the audience yeah. won't notice because you I mean you've all got different performance styles and it's all within yeah. different contexts and I've, you, you see that a lot especially in a, such a close scene like the scottish central belt spoken word scene is growing together right now and it's really supportive which is exciting um, and everyone's got a lot of admiration for each other's styles, and that does happen quite a lot. But you've yeah, got to remind just, yourself. It's just based on, you know, people are inspired by each other's work and build off each other's styles and each other's topics, but it does become kind of crossover yeah. where people use similar, you know, themes or styles or repeat the same lines. I know quite a lot of 
uh, a lot of poems that repeat the line, this is my body. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have a poem yeah. that does as well, um, which tends to, you know, they're very different poems well, we in other to, ways, we went to see but Andrea, that line is yeah. repeated. We went to see um, Andrea Gibson the other yeah. night, and uh, we started, like, creasing ourselves laugh because we always, uh, it's, a, it's a recurring joke in our group of any time someone has, this is my body from Agnes's yeah. poem, and Andrea Gibson did it, and we were like, nah! <laughs> oh, inappropriate, inappropriate. <laughs> 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 Emotional poem, man. Uh, so John, you're the uh, you're the the token non token non Scottish voice, <laughs> and also token poet that isn't a loud poet. Uh, yeah, I, I I can be on occasion, but for here for the contrast, I won't be loud. Um, I should point out as well, you introduced me as John Seagrave, which is I mean that's an old stage name of mine. My actual my my real name is Johnny Fluffy Punk, yeah. uh, son of, of course son of Mr and Mrs Fluffy Punk. Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, <laughs> just say just saying that for the benefit of those people out in Radioland scanning through their uh, their catalogues uh, looking for a John Seagrave show. <laughs> That's the only thing. Um, right, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a non loud a non loud poet. Mine's um, I sound from a different generation. See, uh, I, I'm I've sort of. Hip hop, the, the hip hop influence into poetry was sort of. I mean, I, I was ingrained before then, so I've never I've I've, I've uh, resisted a hip hop influence uh, so far. It has to be said, um, although there is time. You, you, there is you've, you've got time. you've got the kind of beanie, woolly beanie thing. You know? I've got the, I've got the woolly hat, the uh, the, the, the hip hop. Um, uh, Trousers with the with the, the giant thing, the uh, the the, the hip hop um, uh, World War One putties, and, uh, yeah, the whole lot. Street street warrior. You look a lot cooler than any of us. What's that? You look a lot cooler than any of us. Well, it's you got you got time, lads. <laughs> working on that mustache for about fifteen years, it's still not coming through. Yeah, that that is that is a tash. Is a tash. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that impedes uh, talking words? It doesn't, isn't it? Impedes eating soup. Um, <laughs> not so much to talk. It was interesting you say talking, talking words, because this discussion of poetry and stuff like that. I mean, there is this, you know, the, uh, it's changed a lot these days into the, the, you know, what used to be called performance poetry. Now, generally, uh, more and more gets referred to as spoken word, which, to be honest, I, I prefer, because it, uh, for, well, for, for my perspective anyway because it avoids any of those things where people come up and go well that's not real poetry yeah but they can't argue that it is actually words being spoken <laughs> <laughs> well, so well this is it sometimes scream sometimes whisper it is it is all comes under the genre of spoken word which obviously covers covers everything um done by a conscious human being really, <laughs> so it's a uh, mime i suppose can be left out an interpretive dance but as i've yet to incorporate those in the act as well it's so. interesting the difference in performance poetry and spoken word because we were speaking earlier about a, a, a mutual friend called jem rolls oh, uh, yeah. Gem uh, i'm sure you'll have encountered yes, at some point uh, he's a bit of a legend uh, so jem uh, i used to call myself a performance poet until i met him because I saw him perform and it was Mike out of the way and he's going left and right over the stage and to, and I was like, that is performance poetry. That This is a movement piece as well. Whereas my performance comes much more from uh, my tonality and, and little subtle things. I think what, what I do is uh, closer to a dramatic monologue uh, with some rhythm and melody in there than, than what, for example, Jem does. Yeah. So it was, it was him that actually made me realize that, oh no, I should call myself spoken word because I think 
because I don't want to be called a poet because it's that kind of it's, it's that bridge between like written page poetry and performance poetry that spoken mm. word bit is kind of in the middle for us anyway but yeah well this is it I mean performance poetry was always something that was used in a slightly derogatory fashion yeah. by people from the poetry world mm. uh, although as, as it's been pointed out you wouldn't you know no one does that but different, different kinds of music it's all music and this is all spoken word all poetry um, but yeah there was always this uh, this kind of thing seen as the page-stage divide, yeah. which, uh, calling it spoken word and just jumping outside of all that kind of thing, uh, kind of suits. And like the show that I'm doing here, Man Up Johnny Fluffy Bunk, is actually, uh, I mean, I call it lo-fi stand-up spoken word theatre. Because it kind of, <laughs> it kind of covers, kind of covers everything, from the, from the cardboard props through the, the comedy without any actual jokes, um, to the, the, the various bits of, of spoken word, which, which, you know, it has got bits of poetry in there that you might identify as poems, but then it's got an awful lot which isn't. And do you have one for us? Myself? I can do a poem. I'll, po- I'll do a poem. This is a poem that has actually been extracted uh, from my show. Uh, it was in it, but the show then ended up becoming so sprawling that for festivals... Uh, has to be removed. So this is a deleted this scene? Is, uh, this is a, a um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's an editor's, yes, this is from the, from the director's cut <laughs> of my show. Okay, so my stuff's more, more uh, it's kind of autobiographical. Let's see, I have been, I've been loud in the past, I've been, been very loud in the past. Um, I did used to be a ranting political poet, um, which is something I blame now on my then girlfriend's cat. Uh, <laughs> Captain Marmalade, who was a, a, a Leo, and I don't know if anyone's got a Leo cat, but they have horrendous catnip come downs, and it scratched, <laughs> scratched my copy of the first Clash album so badly that when you put the needle on, it jumped seven times a second and uh, uh, acted like a kind of stroboscope, and I had a, a kind of involuntary altered state of consciousness, and uh, uh, became possess- uh, my soul became catapulted to this place called the Punk Zone, which is just a kind of cul-de-sac off the Twilight Zone, populated <laughs> entirely by disembodied entities that got problem with authority figures. And, um, <laughs> for the next, for the next, for the next ten years, I was I was possessed through my poetry by the spirit of this man called Lawrence Clarkson, who was a 17th-century ranter and radical mystic. Um, a man who was uh, imprisoned during the English Civil War for invading church pulpits and swearing for two hours solid. Uh, without, without repetition. And uh, I thought, I'll have some of that. I'll have some of that. And I channeled that through my poetry for, for ten years until I, until I moved to the West Country when I was, I was cured by a shaman who practised Bristol healing, which is, uh, which is where you get dragged to the banks of the Holy River Avon and a, a huge bearded ex-docker beats the evil spirits out of you with a, an empty cider bottle fashioned from pure healing rose quartz. And um, but ever, ever, ever since then, I've written poems about my, my dis- dysfunctional, dysfunctional childhood. So this is a short poem. This is, has been edited from the show. The time you caught me in your underwear, mother. That's what we call the laughter of recognition. <laughs> the bra, the pants, the too tight high-heeled shoes, the stockings, my leg hair sticking through like reeds that split the meniscus of a brown and seedy nylon lake. And in my disbelieving hands, your nipple tassels. Like a pet, this is my mother you're laughing at, mate. <laughs> 
Like a pair of miniature fezzes, a hint of magic perhaps, a reminder of that Thomas Cook fortnight in Marrakesh perhaps, I don't know, I, I got a shock when I found those. Not you, mother. Not you. Not you. you. You drive a Hillman imp with a Fonzie sticker on the glove compartment. You turn off woman's hours should Jenny Murray mention chlamydia. You work in nationwide Anglia, I should know I'm wearing your blouse. <laughs> Blue and white stripes with a little badge that reads, Hi, I'm Valerie, happy to help. And I've tried to do the makeup, but I'm no good. I look like Robert Smith out of The Cure. And you know, I'm sure I was keeping one ear out for your return, but I never heard the car pull up, or the key in the door, or the barking of the dog, or the calming of the dog, or the compulsive checking of the washing machine, or your feet up on the stairs, or you crossing the landing, and suddenly you're there, a half-eaten Eccles cake, in your frozen hand, facing your son, like two mourners at the shotgun funeral of innocence. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, let's, uh, let's see you <laughs> That was something else. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't expecting incest. Quite incest. I didn't go quite that far. Um, uh, it has to be said, but it's um, if someone else's nipples <laughs> were available. I'm someone else's nipples. I mean, this is the thing. I get so many people actually reacting to something like that and going, oh, "I used to do that." <laughs> you get it? And that's, I'm fine with that because that, that that is the role of the poet. One of the roles of the poet is as a shaman for the tribe. Really, it's the, uh, the, the uh, we we embody all the, the repressed emotions and the repressed feelings <coughs> of of the human populace and expose it. Through, our, through the conduit of ourselves on the stage and thereby release act as a safety valve for society. Um, well, that's my excuse. It's a well-articulated excuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just thought, while still got the um, loud poets up here, um, I want to kind of change topic a little bit to um, what, what has now been called uh, Cowgate Headgate. Um, <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm going to do it. Uh, so those of you who don't know, Cowgate Headgate, um, which is the best name for anything ever, uh, <laughs> is um, the, the Cowgate Head, which is one of the pubs under the bridge in, on Cowgate in Edinburgh, um, was booked, is booked, we don't know, um, by Freestable, which is a breakaway from Free Fringe. Um, Talked a bit about it last week, and um, and Free Fringe again. No, actually, we've booked it, um, and it was mm. done in a kind of um, Peter Buckley Hill did quite a. It, it wasn't the most diplomatic way of dealing with Ooh. the situation. I didn't realise this had actually become a, a, a kind of head suffixed thing. I mean, I've, I've been getting the emails no, it's, 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 it's from Peter Buckley Hill <laughs> saying about it. it, it it's a gate suffix thing. So it's a cowgate head. Mm. Yeah, head. it's a gate. Yeah, cowgate head. Yeah. Head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise it had actually become. Is it is it out there in the public? Domain? Well, it, it's war. Yeah. Has well, anyone actually asked the cowgate head who they booked? I I, <laughs> I, I think. Well, I mean, we're we're based in Edinburgh, so we. Uh, I don't know, maybe we've got a bit more insight into this, but the, the Freestable is kind of the third of the free fringe uh, companies going. So PBH has been doing it for a long time. And, uh, and the Laughing Horse, as far as I know, used to, uh, the person who runs that used to work with uh, Buckley Hill. Um, and so there was a lot of tension there. It was very much, you can't even apply to do a show with them if you ever want to talk to me again. Um, and but just, just to make it clear, you can apply to um, Laughing Horse 
and apply to free fringe, but not the other way around. If right. that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So 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 f- um, well, it's a laughing horse. Don't mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah PBH, yeah, PBH, yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, if he finds out, you're dead. Yeah, uh, and and Freestable are a new one. The, uh, we've got a, 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 actually a very specific insight into this because we were booked into Cowgate Head last year. So Loudpost were going to do their first ever fringe show through PBH at the Cowgate Head. What Freestable have been doing is essentially stealing venues uh, from Laughing Horse and from PBH. And the, the way they're doing that is because it's run locally. So unlike Laughing Horse and PBH, the, the people who run Freestable also want a, a, a huge restaurant chain in Edinburgh. So they have a working relationship already with all of these venues. Um, so whenever something undiplomatic, as you're saying, as, as you know, PBH have been accused of being in the past, happens, Freestable can swoop in and with, with much better working relations and, and get the venue. We were then left without a venue last year because of Cowgate Headgate. <laughs> and, um, and we thought we weren't going to be able to do a show. And it actually, in a weird way, ended up working out really well for us because a producer came up to us and said, oh, we'd love to put you in this... Uh, 100-seater theatre, and we're like, oh, we can't sell those tickets, don't be ridiculous, we're doing poetry. Um, and it ended up working out incredibly, we ended up selling out by the end of the run and stuff, wow. and, uh, and now we're, we're going to be back in that venue again this year. Which venue? Um, it's the Storytelling Centre, Scottish Storytelling Centre, oh, where it's on the Royal oh, Mile. Yeah, um, yeah, lovely, lovely space, um, and they've got all the tech requirements and stuff we need. Um, so yeah, Cowgate Headgate ended up putting us in a really bad position, it ended up working out really well for us, but it has now gotten even bigger, this as far as I'm aware, this year, PBH and Laughing Horse and Freestable, it's come even more to a head of really scrapping for venues and, and lots of emails going back and forth. My, f- my favourite thing about it is, because I didn't know, so like, I knew about PBH, and I was like, so who's Laughing Horse? And they went, oh, they used to work with PBH, and now they don't. And I was like, well, then who's Freestable? And he went, you know the pizza van next to the, the Tron Kirk? I went, yeah, and he went, them. Well, the pizza guys are putting on a free fringe. They're like, yeah. I was like, well, I mean, their pizza's cracking. So, like, I just, yeah, just to clarify, the, it is very good pizza. I'm not. Yeah. It's, no, it's not, awesome. It's, it's pizza. amazing pizza. Yeah. Um, no, the, the um, I think they were just the sponsors, weren't they? Or were um, they? Right. I I was told that I I, yeah, I organizers. Yeah. Yeah. No. Then I wanted to go with Freestable because I thought free, free pizza. pizza. Yeah. 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 There's. there's there's a lot going on. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because I, I heard uh, recently that uh, Peter was thinking of uh, resigning from his post of... He's been resigning for the past five years. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> You know what, though? It's, it's been so nice being um, down at Brighton because beyond, beyond all the who doesn't like who and the free fringes and all that, um, it's a shame for the artists because it's, it's the artists who want to do their shows mm. and want to come up and, and just perform. Not to make money, no one makes money in the Fringe, but just to get their stuff out there. Some it's people been, make a lot of money at the Fringe. Oh, well, yeah, but like, not people doing the free yeah. Yeah. But it's been, so nice, it's been so nice coming down to Brighton and talking to some of the organisers of um, like other places and stuff, and they were saying about the other venues, and they all get together and have a chat and, and are really yep. excited about the, the Fringe and really sharing what acts are good and going to see each other's venue shows yeah. and that kind of feeling. And it's so nice to, to see that because it helps the acts because we've come down with absolutely no one knowing do- us down here, and it's because of everyone talking, all the organisers putting a good word out for you to mm. other organisers and, and everyone kind of being really cool about it that your show our show's actually doing quite well. And and that's that's the lovely thing to see, and I wish Edinburgh could get back to maybe yeah. maybe getting all who makes what out of it out of it, and just going let's let's just have enjoy the fringe for a change. Yeah. Do, you, like, do, you, do you think that's you think that's going to happen? I suppose my my big concern genuinely is that you know, the free fringe has allowed a lot of 
performers to be able to go to the fringe yes, that, that exactly. otherwise couldn't do. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, when I, I've done paid venues and people have congratulated me that I've only lost two thousand pounds. Yeah, which, which, which is a, it, yeah. it's, it's an, that's, it's insane that that's seen as a good fringe. Yeah. Um, and so you have the free fringe for that. But I the, the concern will be is that you know the paid venues will be rubbing their hands with glee yeah. at all of this because yes. it's, because it, performers it's, it's don't want that risk. You know, absolutely, you, you know, and it's the same in the like we're saying about the Scottish book and we're seeing right now is. We're, we're real ambassadors of let's work together. There's no real competition here. The, the scene can only grow. And I think the Free Fringe needs to find a way to do that or it's going to self-implode. Because I got offered to uh, a venue by Freestable this year and I ended up saying no because PBH does almost all the spoken word. And I've got... And it's irrelevant to me who's running the venue or anything like that, but I've got a working relationship with a lot of the poets down in London and, and elsewhere. And, and if they're all with... PBH and then I'm there with Priestable. Mm. It kind of puts us against each other, um, which isn't which isn't fair. I sh I shouldn't feel like that, but I you know I, I I didn't want to do that. And until this kind of thing gets sorted out, like you say, the people that are going to really benefit from that is the venues that are charging money because Free Fringe was taking their business away for a long time and making it much fairer for artists. Mm. And now, and for and for an audience, yeah, you know, yeah, like absolutely. being able to actually go and see a lot of shows because you can pay a reasonable price rather than. There's, but, also but, but then isn't the problem, and I've always found this is a problem, <laughs> that you can't, you can't build a show. Like, there has to be, if someone gets bored halfway through because you've done that natural lull, or however, mm. you know, if that's part of the narrative or whatever, mm. then you, you kind of, the writing is affected because you, you need to make sure that there's something that's going to be engaging. Like not, obviously, you, you know, you're performing and everything has to be engaging, but yeah. there's not... I, I find it difficult to have that moment of quiet reflection um, that sometimes a show can benefit from because you're a bit nervous that your audience is going to walk out. Um, I, I mean, unless you're Richard Tyrone Jones and you want your audience to leave. That was <laughs> <the best. laughs> it was a beautiful show last year. I would put it this way, because I did both the Loud Poets show in, the, in a paid venue and I also did a free fringe show yeah. um, last year. And what I found was with the paid fringe, you have to work so much harder before to get PR out there and get anyone to buy tickets. But the free fringe you have to work so much harder during the shows to get no one to leave but actually a lot of people will just walk in because they know you're free and it sounds like a good idea um, and I ended up being in one of those lucky positions where I actually made money off of the free fringe not loads but you know I didn't lose anything and I could get by and I never had anyone leaving and things so it can be a really wonderful experience for an artist to be able to do that because I would never have dared to do a one-woman show as a, as a first thing I did and I did a bilingual show you know in two languages and lots of people could have been turned off by that I would never have dared to do that if it wasn't the opportunity to do it in a free fringe. Yeah. Um, so that can also work out really great, but it is, you're working at different things, and you had to work really hard to get people engaged for the whole of that hour show. Um, but it can work. There's a, there's a comedian um, called Bob Slayer, um, who's, who's trying to do a, he's a lunatic, yeah, but he's, a, <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's been doing a, a sort of in, in the middle thing. Um, I, might, I might get this wrong, but um, I believe what it is, is it's a free fringe, um, but you can pay, I think, £5 to book your ticket. Yeah. So um, so some people will pay for it to guarantee that they get in, um, but anyone else can just turn and up. And, all, and, all, and I, think, I think as well for reviewers as well, um, they want to know that they've got a guaranteed seat um, because they go to so many shows. And I know it was one of... Um, wasn't it... Um, was it last year that one of Bob, Bob's um, bookshop acts won the Comedy Award? Was yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Yeah, was that the last year or the year before? Um, the one who, the one who was, 
The woman that was naked from the waist down? Oh, yeah, I think that was uh, two years ago, the Australian last. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, An interesting concept for a show. Was it uh, naked from the waist down? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Oh, she I actually mean, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. All, it was okay. a really, yeah. uh, apparently, was, I, we never got the chance to see it, but we were, um, we had girls staying with us that were good friends with her. Um, just over the fringe. And, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and apparently she was she was amazing. It was all just uh, you know very in your face kind of uh, edgy feminist kind of comedy. But yeah, apparently it was incredible. But I never got a chance to see it. The posters were amazing. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Just her sitting uh, spread eagle with a, a can a multi pack of Fosters. I think it was in between her legs <laughs> um, to cover her dignity or whatever. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, Never heard it called that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a new, it's a new term, Johnny. It's what the no. kids are calling it. <laughs> Get your dignity out for the lads. Um, I was wondering oh. if we could, um, on that note, have a bit of a swap around. Was I, know, um, I want to get Franco up? And did Anne come in? Yeah. I can't. I'm, I'm assuming that's your hand. I can see that. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's the mind reader here, the mentalist, because we've only been here like a few days, and this is the second time we've been booked on a show with a mind reader, and the first one they didn't show up, and that I don't want it to be a hundred percent of times we get booked with a mind reader they don't appear. He's not. He hasn't appeared. Kev, That's, gets, Kev gets freaked out by because now I feel like that they're messing with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's really I don't upsetting. I think it's personal. He's, he's very Bad, bad experience? I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, a couple of you, um, yeah. Do you want to solve? No, no, just. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we've, um, we have, we've lost uh, Kevin and Katie. Yep. Um, didn't say anything, Katie. What happened? I was just listening to the glory. And we've uh, now, been, now been swapped um, with Franco, who runs a This Is Cabaret website, uh, and uh, Ant, um, Ant McEwen, who is a stand-up comedian, and is um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trend of very, very good facial hair. Um, <laughs> I feel really jealous now. Oh, so, sorry, so, I've got I mean, I don't have any yeah. facial hair either, so, you know, that should make you feel, you know. <laughs> you should get one of those stick-on mustaches. <laughs> they always fall off when you drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how's, it, how's it going, Ant? Yeah, not too bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, brilliant fringe. Like, I've got to see some amazing shows, so, like, it's just been... Uh, I got to see a guy a few weeks ago, um, Gary Coleman, stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Like, I was thinking at first, like, this is free, so I don't... Like, I, I was a bit dubious, like, as to how good it would be. Absolutely held the rooms. Just like, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you so much. But it, it was absolutely brilliant. I, I really enjoyed his show. And I've got to see some of my friends. James McDonald, he's been doing some stuff. His show ended absolutely spectacular. Brilliant, brilliant show. I, I've, I've only had one show so far, and I, I, I'm really not going to say who this is. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was there, and I, at the end, I wanted to give them a hug. Because and I know that feeling and I've been there mm. and I've been there and nothing that they did was working. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they started commenting on the fact in the middle of the show. Oh, no, no. That's the worst. And, and I, I just, yeah, yeah, I, I can... I, just to say, for, for those of you listening, that there is quite a lot of crin visible cringing yeah. going on. <laughs> we've all, surely, I mean, we've all had that. Yeah, I, I think my, my worst is when I was doing a, a slam and I was sat at the front 
and I didn't realise. And, and when I got up, I simultaneously turned round, and I thought there was only about ten people there, but it was full of a hundred. <laughs> and as I turned and got up, the glass that was by my foot smashed. Oh, good start. And then I got up, and of course, halfway through that poem, I was like, uh, oh, no. and, I, and I found like really some lame lime, lame rhyme, lame lime, um, lame <laughs> well rhyme, done. and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, no, that was so uh, yeah. We, we've all anyone that says they haven't is just lying, and it's just that. Oh, and yeah, I didn't want to say anything either because I, because that's just rubbing it in, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you don't, you don't want to go. Oh, do you want to talk? It's just it's how there's no way of, yeah. Um, yeah, is, is there anyone here that wants to admit that they haven't? Is anyone, does anyone ever dare say they've never had a bomb? Oh, I think I've forgotten my words a lot, but what I tend to do because I'm bilingual is I add a few words in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> no one has any idea what I'm saying. I remember what the poem's about, I swear a bit in Swedish, and then go back to the poem in English. No one will ever know. I once, I did a singing exam, and I ha you had to do one of the songs in a different language. I did, I did it in German. And I only, I only realised I had to do this about three days before the exam. Oh, no. Do you and, speak German? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I made up all the words. And I made them, and I, I put on ungs and ings, and I had ein there, and I, and I made it all up. And I just thought, I'm never going to get away with this. And then on the feedback that you get afterwards, it said, has an excellent grasp of the language. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is beautiful. How, how do they grade a singing exam, though? Is it graded like the scale, like A flat? Like <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Um, I, mean, I, I know someone who did a, um, a diploma in singing that, that couldn't sing in tune, so um, that was an interesting one. It's, I think it's difficult whenever you, whenever you bomb. I, I, uh, I forget my words a lot. I don't speak Swedish or German. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I'm usually all right at filling them in. Or it's dramatic... like swearing in broad glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, dramatic silences are very good. Just look pensive. Um, <laughs> I, have, uh, I have one poem that's in our show that I can't get wrong. Uh, there's not an option because it's timed and there's a big clock on the screen uh, behind me, so the entire audience will know. I, if I get that wrong, it is incredibly apparent, so I, I have no choice. If I mess that up, then everyone is going to boo at me because Kev tells them all to boo at me if I get it wrong. So it's an incredible <laughs> amount of pressure. That is the one poem that I've never messed up because I, I can't. It's just not an option. And is that one of the fast ones, I'm guessing? Uh, it gets, it's fast at bits. Um, the, the whole concept of it is, uh, is slam. If anyone doesn't know, slam is like a poetry competition and, uh, and you've got the time limits, right? So two and a half minutes is usually the second round in Scotland, but you know, it, it varies where you go. And uh, so I wrote a poem, like well, I had an idea of writing a poem that was exactly two and a half minutes. I thought that would really impress at least the timekeeper, <laughs> like if I could do that. And then what I'll do is I'll put time cues in there. So, you know, when it gets, when there's exactly 52 seconds left, I'll say 52 weeks or in a year, or where, you know, and I'll, and I'll make it, and so it'll all flow as a poem, but there'll be exact time cues. And, um, it, and is that exactly your smart house? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, but then I had to write it, and that was much harder than coming up with the idea. And then I had to learn it, and then when we decided to do it at the fringe, we thought what would be great is, and instead of just doing it and them trusting me, we had this countdown clock behind me. 
um, and then we could put bings in whenever the time cues were, so that they, so I could say it when the bing happens. And we're all like, these are like great ideas. And then I had to learn that. There's <laughs> <laughs> an incredibly ridiculously difficult thing, and uh, it's the only one of my poems that I've still practiced like over and over every day because it's it's like say you can't get that one wrong. If I if I say 52 and it doesn't go bing then everybody knows that I've messed that up. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, it's incredibly hard, so. And so far, I've never seen Miko mess it up, but literally every time he does it, he comes like stumbling in backstage afterwards and just falls onto the <laughs> yes. ground and pants for a while. He's, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous every, every time I do it as well. And then uh, and at the end of the Edinburgh Fringe last year, um, David Lee Morgan, actually, who's uh, some of you guys will know, who's a uh, former UK slam champ, came to see the show and um, he said, uh, that was really cool. So do you have the screen at the back of the room as well so you can see it or a mirror somewhere? And I was like, no, no, I just, I, I've had to practice it so you can see the time and I can. And he was like, I don't, I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> so, so Kev came in drunk in the Banshee Labyrinth where all the poets turned up and went, do you know what we should do? We should blindfold him to prove so for the last like five shows we did, I then had to do that blindfolded as well in front of people. So I don't even know where the mic was. Yeah, it was terrible. Next year he's trying to juggle. He's been telling. <laughs> no, no he's, juggling. He's been telling the organizers of the fringe here that oh, you should come see the next show because he's going to juggle and there will be fire and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, I would say that in the Banshee Labyrinth it has very low ceilings. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not, not performing in the Banshee Labyrinth. We just go there to get drunk with the rest of the poets. Uh, right, 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 right. Um, so, um, and do you, uh, how long have you been doing comedy? Um, well, it's a bit of a weird thing. I kind of started out as a writer. I was doing um, my own website, um, which was called The Ant McEwen Report. And basically, my wife was a bit fed up with me uh, spouting nonsense at home and wasting her time complaining about what I saw on TV and on the news. And so I'd just uh, write a few bits about news articles and whatever I've seen. And then, basically, uh, from there, it was like a few months ago, back in February, it was like, right, jump on it, I'm going to try to perform it, see what happens. And just been kind of like building and slowly snowballing into something really good, like in such a short time as well. It's, it's just as like, you're relatively new to stand-up? Yeah, relatively new, not to performance side of things, like throughout my life I've done all kinds of uh, bits and bobs, but like, yeah, to the stand-up scene, pretty pretty fresh to it. You sound like you've still got a, a bit of a social commentary thing going on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, ba basically like I can't help myself, I just look on the websites of like local newspapers all the time and just go, oh really? That's the news? The one that says like, oh cow shot in head? Uh, <laughs> people are going to hold a memorial vigil for it. And I thought, oh my God. Like, I looked it up, Facebook page for it, that said, uh, it said, uh, everyone who attends, could you please dress in a cow onesie and hold a candle? Like, that's what the cow would have wanted, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, it's a bit like me saying to my friends, when I die, can you set up a funeral for me where everyone comes dressed up as a goat holding sparklers. Like, <laughs> it's absolutely mad. But the, the, these That sounds quite good though, uh, you know, yeah. a, goat, a goat with sparklers. It would be interesting. I wonder if it made the news. I, I wonder if some of. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just like there, there's so many odd stories. There was one I saw the other day that said, abusive football fan spotted on TV. I thought, I must have been like trying to find a needle in a haystack. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it, it's just crazy because there's so many of these bonkers stories that make 
like the main news. And I've noticed a lot of like um, BBC South and Meridian, they have these like cosy, warm kind of stories where, where they tell like these uh, kind of headlines and, and, and they deliver it like it's groundbreaking news. And it's just like, like today a, a car has parked successfully and then they'll go on like a five minute rant about how, oh, it's brilliantly parked. And uh, of course you can see Vox Pop videos of people being interviewed saying, uh, yeah, yeah, they've done a good job. I don't drive, um, but uh, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. And it's just mad. It's like, this isn't news. Like news is like when something happens, they should deliver it. Like I got a bit frustrated a few months back when there was all the earthquakes and everything going on in some of the other countries. And one of the big news stories, they, all these media, for lack of better words, assholes, were just hounding this poor guy who'd just been dragged out of wreckage. Every single one of them wanting to interview him, and they go, "So how does it feel to be out?" And like, fair play to him, he answered. He said, "Like, oh, it's a, it's a relief, all this stuff." But I would have just been like, "I tell you what, if I had known that this was going to happen, I would have fucking stayed in there." (laughs) (laughs) It's just mad. It's like they don't deliver the news; they try to do something for ratings, and, and and that kind of frustrates me a bit. And that comes through in my stand up a lot. Like, just kind of shining a light on the bizarrity and, and how, how crazy it's now gotten with the media, that it's not about telling people what's happened in the world and what is important to them. It's about making it a, a ratings-grabbing TV show and it's drama and it sort of stuff. It's, it's quite sad, really. Uh, um, Franco, you, um, you are kind of of that side, aren't you? You, you, you are... Uh, um, for, for cabaret, though, so it's not kind of... But do you do you do you relish um, relish the bazaar? Um, what kind of bazaar? What do you call bazaar? What, what does bazaar mean? Well, excellent. That's a very philosophical point. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I might I might I might argue um, wearing nipple tassels. That might be uh, considered. Well, nipple what? tassels is not often. Uh, actually, women tend to use nipple tassels quite a lot. But men, boylesque, even boylesques, use nipple tassels these days. So it's. It doesn't really mean much nowadays. It's, it was used in the old days thanks to laws which said women couldn't show their breasts, so here comes a nipple tassel. But um, yeah, you get some very creative ones these days. A lot of women are building them into their acts. So depending if their acts say, for example, um, there's one as a Margaret Thatcher act, and she comes out with a Union Jack that nipple tassel's very nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but there, is, there is quite a lot of... Yeah, you, know, you have, like... Um, uh, I, I never thought there'd be an act such as... Um, um, what's the first name? Um, you know, Sinatsi. Um, oh, Frank Sinatsu. Uh, yeah, Frank Sinatsu, which is uh, a apparently not quite as bad as it sounds. Uh, in fact, it's a very good show. Um, the, no, the, he's an absolutely brilliant act. He's yeah. one of my favourite acts ever. If only because I've given up watching him because I know what he's going to sing, I know what he says, but you just watch the audience. You watch the audience reaction when the penny drops and they realise he's not just singing songs, he's singing absolutely filthily racist songs that are meant to be offensive, are gloriously offensive. And you watch people thinking, am I meant to be laughing? Am I meant to be not laughing? Um, where does my political correctness come into this? So it's, yeah, it's fun. Um, cool. And, and so what's about the website? So the website basically covers um, burlesque, drag, circus, musical comedy. I started it because there's very, very few people actually covering this with any um, depth. There was a timeout cabaret section that's no longer sadly with us. Um, ben Walters and myself cover a lot of cabaret around London and he goes up to Edinburgh a lot. I tend to not go up there because I have a day job in London much, so I don't go up as much as I can. 
Uh, but yeah, it's, it was out there mainly to cover those kind of groups, especially around London. I try to cover around Europe and around the rest of the UK as much as possible. Though. Um, so we, we are pretty much at the end. I just thought it'd be quite good if uh, Loud Poets wanted, he wanted to finish off with um, something. Let's do. Yeah, we'll get we'll get the band up and ready as well. Let's see. So yeah, we've been Loud Poets. We've got a show on at the Warren Theatre Box at 10 p.m. tonight and tomorrow. Uh, and my name is Agnes Torok. You can try to pronounce that best you like. I've never been much for arts for art's sake. I mean, if it doesn't do anything to us, why do we spend so much time doing it? I want poetry like first touch. Poetry that kisses me so deeply, metaphors linger on my tongue. I want poetry that claws at my heartstrings, opens up my chest and lets itself in. I want poetry that gives me morning after hair, the day after a really good poem. I like to walk home in the morning, light still dressed from last night, shoes in hand, smiling uncontrollably. Just thinking about the best bits of last night, poem. I've never been much for arts for art's sake. I mean, if it doesn't do anything for us, why do we spend so much time doing it? I want poetry to be the soundtrack to my life. Poetry to plug my headphones into. Poetry to laugh and dance and cry and meditate too. I want poems strong enough and versatile enough to listen to on repeat like a heartbeat. I've never been much for arts for art's sake. If it doesn't change any part of us, why do we spend so much time changing it? I need poems. Poems to calm my mind and kickstart my heart. But most of all, most of all, I need poems like anthems, poems like manifestos and marches, poems that are both our weapons and our shields, poems that build an us that can keep fighting to ask real questions and demand real responsibility, poetry that builds a real community of us worth fighting for. I've never been much for arts for art's sake. I want poetry that changes my life and rocks my world, and I want you to write it.